0: Welcome back to another great episode of NucleCast. Of course, I'm your host, as always, Adam Wilder. And today we have another great guest. I, I th- You know, that's really all we do is have great guests. And so I will keep with that tradition. Today we bring to you Brigadier General Bill Murphy, who is the Special Assistant for NC3 Matters at U.S. Strategic Command. Making a lot of important and useful decisions about NC3 next, our our future nuclear command, control, and communication systems. And so we've never had a discussion about this topic. And I know many of you, the listeners, have been chomping at the bit to talk about NC3. So with that, Bill, welcome to NucleCast.
1: Well, thank you, Adam. I wanted to uh, take a few seconds here and thank both you and ANWA, Turn Center, for hosting these great podcasts and for inviting me on. I've uh, stepped into this role, kind of working NC3 Matters since uh, last summer. Uh, as we got some uh, presentations and information ready for the Deputy Secretary of Defense at that time. And then uh, November timeframe, I had the opportunity to transition into the special assistant role to help the NEC and really the whole NC3 enterprise uh, move us forward as you just talked about and bring next three, next or NC3 next-gen capabilities into our, our portfolio today so we can fight tonight. And so I've been enjoying that since November and working with the uh, uh, men and women of the uh Whole NC3 enterprise. So look forward to our discussions here.
0: So let's, let's, you know, for those who, you know, a lot of people sort of know NC3, well, that's, you know, how we communicate, uh, you know, how we communicate to the fielded forces to execute the nuclear mission. But can you give us a more detailed explanation of what is NC3? Well,
1: when it comes to NC3, first of all, th- people sometimes confuse it with NC2, which is nuclear command and control. Uh, nuclear command and control usually talks about the presidential uh, authority uh, and him exercising and commanding the forces. So that's, that's the actual nuclear command and control or NC2. When you add communications or the three, the NC3, nuclear command and control communications, it's really a system of systems. So there's hundreds of systems that come together, and then it's the people, the facilities, both fixed and mobile, and then all those different systems that really come up to a kind of a mesh network of these capabilities to ensure that at any time, under any circumstance, uh, that the president has command and control over our nuclear forces. And then it also makes sure that we can do what are called our mission essential functions. So we have situational awareness, what an adversary may be doing, uh, decision-making. It allows us to make sure we can do nuclear planning, Uh, force management, and then the last one, again, is that force direction from the President of the United States. And so those mission essential essential functions are what NC3, the system of system, really allows us to make sure that we can do uh, 24-7, 365, uh, regardless of what an adversary might or might not try to do to us.
0: Yeah, I mean, Curtis McGiffin and I have called that the the detect, decide, direct you know, nexus of the, the three fundamental things that you got to do. So now if, if, as you think about NC3 and you said, it's a lot of systems. So we, we know for, you know, this is more than a hundred systems. It's a system of systems. Can you give us a, a little more description perhaps of, you know, this system of systems, it's communications, it's, integrated tactical warning and attack assessment. Tell us a little more about exactly what it is.
1: Well, it's actually, it kind of goes back to, as you said, your three Ds, but I'll go back to situational awareness. So that you just identified the integrated tactical warning and attack assessment. It's called ITWA. So that is our ballistic early warning radars that are up north, you know, up in Thule. I had the opportunity to serve up there for a year. It's some of our satellite capabilities that can detect infrared. So potentially see launches of missiles or hotspots in the world. And so being able to then take those sensors, those capabilities, Uh, correlate them, identify um, what an adversary may or may not be doing or an ally may be doing, because, again, we will see our own space launches, you know, SpaceX launching and and those sort of things as well. But those uh, sensors and the situational awareness, that that then goes into command centers. Uh, spread throughout the country. And, you know, the, you typically will hear the one, it's the National Military Command Center in the Pentagon, kind of the, the hub, or you'll see it on TV a lot as this real fancy, fancy building and that, uh, buried in the bowels of the Pentagon. But you'll take them into that and other command centers. And that's what allows them to go ahead and process, try to identify what may or may not be happening to allow what's called the decision-making. And so then you get into different types of conferences uh, where we'll use these different systems, some are, are satellite-based, some are ground-based terrestrial, some are landlines. So that's where you get into the different types of communications to allow us to bring in senior leaders Identify what the situation is, uh, then have uh, them make decisions or not. uh, You know, not choosing to do something as a decision. And so, being able to have that kind of decision making, and then be able to address that in an informed decision making, I guess is what I would say. Because we're also bringing in senior leaders, we're bringing in different uh, you know departments, uh, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State. uh, Depending upon what's happening, those sort of conferences allow us uh, the decision making to be informed. Uh, to go up to have that discussion with the president uh, as you go forth. And so really that's the kind of the system, you know, like I said, there's hundreds of systems uh, being run by multiple services. Uh, Navy runs some, the Air Force runs some, uh, runs a significant portion actually. Uh, Army helps on some of it uh, as well. Space forces now, uh, they used to be called enablers, you know, with the satellites, but those are, are, we, you know, can't do that without satellites, both early warning as well as communication. And so trying to tie all, all those different things together, all the different services together, all the different interagency partners together. That is when you start hearing what's called the NC3 enterprise, because it's, it's not just those systems. It's actually an enterprise of all these different people that have to work together to identify, uh, develop you know, the research and engineering, develop, uh, make sure they're interoperable, and then be able to go ahead and acquire and then sustain uh, the different systems.
0: Now, the, the neck at U.S. Strategic Command is sort of a hub for modernization, for thinking about what this NC3 Next is going to look like. Can you tell us a little bit about the neck and what it's doing and what your role is there and what are your objectives? What are you trying to do?
1: No, I appreciate the question. It's a good question. So really, it goes back probably to about 2018, 2019 timeframe, and it's bigger than just the NC3 Enterprise Center. Uh, the enter- NC3 Enterprise Center, or the neck as it's called, is, is really the, the action or the center that the Commander Stratcom, he or she, currently General Cotton, can use to to oversee his authorities he has as the enterprise lead for NC3. What they saw in, in kind of the late 2010 timeframe, 2018, 2019, was all these different systems I was just talking about, especially in the... The Department of Defense, they were somewhat stovepiped. And so, you know, the Air Force might be doing one section, Space Forces was doing another, Navy was doing another. And when you're talking hundreds of systems and trying to get the interconnectivity, making sure that they can talk to each other, we were missing some things. And so at that time, the, the Secretary of Defense, Secretary Mattis said, hey, we need to have kind of a daddy rabbit in the Department of Defense, somebody to help oversee all the Department of Defense interrelated portions of nuclear command control communications, NC3. And so that's when they originally delegated to General, or excuse me, to the Commander Stratcom. It was Admiral Richards originally, currently General Cotton. And so it's like, how then, if you have the Commander Stratcom dual-hatted as this enterprise lead for the NC3 systems for Department of Defense, how can you best help make sure you can fight tonight, but also modernize? And so at that time, they stood up the NC3 Enterprise Center, uh, I believe it's 2019, about four years ago or so, to go ahead and be that action arm for the Commander STRATCOM to ensure that we can get to the, his next vision, NC3 Next, and bring those capabilities uh, across. And, and the way I like to kind of explain that and what the NEC does is, again, it works with all these different interagency partners and different services, but I like to explain it in kind of the sign of an infinity sign or a figure eight on the side. And so when you look at that figure eight or the infinity sign, there's two halves to that. And when you look at it, if you look at the left half, as you're looking, that is fight tonight. The NC3 system we have, operations, maintenance, sustaining what we have to today. Uh, we have different divisions that do that. We have a, an assessments division that goes out and assesses our capabilities. We have an operations management that looks at what is actually happening today, not the assessments, but what is the operations making sure we're operating maintaining. We have a requirements division that's close, more closely to the center. Because if you look at the center, of that infinity sign, that is today. So that's a cut line of today. So everything to the left is what we have available today. Everything to the right is NC3 Next capabilities that we're trying to pull through the center line to make sure we can use those today. And so the NC3 Enterprise Center also has what's called the Next Generation Division. Uh, and then we have, and so they're currently looking out into the future of what capabilities what technologies emerging how can we utilize those and bring through bring them through the center line from modernization to current fight tonight capabilities or NC3 current. And so the divisions work across that spectrum of that infinity sign to ensure that we're being able to always have the capabilities we need today, but at the same time, making sure that we're bringing the newest technology that we can across that center line and bring it into our fight tonight. And so those are the, the really kind of how the different divisions do that. We also have a, um, a software or engineering uh division, uh, out. they're primarily out east, but they really go in and do digital engineering and digital twins of this system of systems, the NC3. And so they're, they've been working hard at that, uh, getting better every day. We're getting more details into that to allow us to run different scenarios, simulations, and help identify how we can improve and take those technologies and whether they're going to be beneficial before we ever go out and actually purchase them. And so those are some of the different ways that the NC3 Enterprise Center is is addressing the need to modernize and bring things from the right side of that infinity scene. And we call it the NC3 polarity po- uh, paradigm when you look at that, because it, it's you can't have one side too big or the other side too big, and you can't lose balance on that. So you can't focus totally on the future or we'll lose today. Uh, so those are what the NC3 center the NC3 Enterprise Center is really attempting to do. And then that's also both internal within the Department of Defense and then external as well. So they work with the Office Secretary of Defense, uh, the Research and Engineering, kind of in the next generation area. We work with OSD, uh, ANS, uh, Acquisition Sustainment, to make sure we can acquire and sustain the stuff we have today. And then a whole significant num- uh, additional partners as well. So that kind of explains what we call our NC3 uh, clarity paradigm of of being able to balance the fight tonight with future capabilities.
0: Yeah, you you know as I think about it, you really do have quite a perhaps the most difficult challenge in nuclear modernization. I, I mean, we're building the Sentinel and we you know we've seen that some of the infrastructure components of it are proving a little more challenging than we thought initially. Uh B21 you know, that's a very advanced aircraft. Uh LRSO, the the new cruise missile, that seems to be on track. Uh the submarine, uh, you know, the new Columbia class submarine, that's you know, we're we're struggling to meet a workforce requirement uh to go out and build submarines. I I don't know if you saw, but during the college national championship game, there were you know, there were commercials. Asking Americans to come build submarines. Uh, and there's a website that's go build submarines. And so we're dealing with all these challenges. But if you look at the complexity of the modernization writ large, NC3 is probably the most complex and challenging aspect of all of modernization because you've got to take all of these systems to, to create a new system of systems and you, and you're in some respects, you're going from a, a legacy analog system to a completely digital system. And then you've got to make sure that that new digital system is secure and it's just such a difficult challenge. And, and I guess I wonder from the guy looking at that challenge, what are you doing? How are you thinking through how to address those challenges and how to make sure that whatever direction you may go whatever systems you may acquire that they meet those very challenging and difficult requirements
1: well First of all again good points there but that's probably one of the biggest when you're talking about the the three different modernization efforts for the triad is probably one of the biggest difference between those the triad modernization and the NC3 next or modernization of NC3 because as you just hit the Columbia is replacing the Ohio the B you know B21 is replacing primarily the B2 the you know the Sentinels replacing the Minuteman NC3 next is not replacing NC3 current It's not a one-for-one, we cannot build NC3 next and then just swap it out. So we really have to continuously, so that that infinity, infinity sign or the polarity paradigm I talked about, that is actually sliding along the timeline every single day. And so what's happening is really our challenge is folding in these next generation capabilities into our architecture continually. So, we have to bring those through. So, that's really what we're trying to do. And, and a key to that is our digital engineering. And what I mean by that, that allows us to go in and bring in um, you know, different threats, bring in different systems, bring in the so we can have a baseline of what we currently have. But then we can also bring in you know, into this digital uh, engineering modeling and simulation, be able to go in and look how these future capabilities may or may not benefit us. And then we can actually do trade space or trade trade offs and look, OK, look at the expense of this, weighed against the risk, because what we're trying to do is, is we don't we can no longer really afford to replace current systems with future systems that are identical to them. You know, we have to look at other things as we're going forth. And so really, one of the biggest ways we're doing that is is integration. And so uh, NC3 Center or Stratcom is co-partnering with uh, OSD ANS to go in and use data-driven decisions to look at future architectures and capabilities, pull them through uh, data-driven analysis tools to help identify before we ever go build the things and make sure that these pieces and parts are going to play well together so that we can continue and and, and bring them across into the the current NC3 and into the the left side or the, the polarity paradigm.
0: Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. And unfortunately, it's that time in the show where we have to take a quick break. But when we come back from the break, you've mentioned a couple of times digital twins. And some of our listeners may know exactly what you're talking about and some may not. So could you give us when we come back, could you give us a sort of a description of what you mean by talking digital twins and what they do? You're listening to Nuclecast and we'll be right back. This episode of NuclearCast is brought to you by the Anilod Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. And we're back and we're talking to Brigadier General Bill Murphy, who is the special assistant for NC3 at U.S. Strategic Command, and he's sitting in the chair for now as the acting director acting director of the NC3 Enterprise Center, the NEC, as it's been called, or as it is called. And we talked about this question of digital twins. Could you describe for us what is a digital twin? What does that mean? What what capability does that give you? How how does that help you make decisions?
1: Well I might go to one of my Bob, when you asked Bob the genie questions, because I think one of the questions I was going to have uh, give you was that if I had the opportunity, I'd go back in time and listen more to all my science teachers. So I understood the technology better. Uh, but but and so what we have is is we have some really smart folks, uh, you know, engineers, and, and that's part of the you know, part of the importance of the human capital and, and, and just people. And making sure that we have the right people uh, because they are really the foundation of the NC3 Enterprise Center. But we do have the right people or many of the right people out uh, in our SE&I division uh, working on taking the capability. And so what you end up having is is the way I like to take it, say, is it's uh, an online interaction. So you, you identify each of these different pieces. And then you can draw a line and go, okay, here's how they connect. But then you look at the, the, the dependencies on those lines and how they might be cut. Or how you can make them stronger. And so it's digitally modeling each of these different capabilities and then using um, tools and again, analytical models. And they'll come and they try to explain to me, but when they use the pictures, it's much better because they then can visually display what they're doing with all this math and science and stuff in the background. You know, some of the different ways we can maybe have uh, additional resiliency or survivability or different capabilities without having to build it. Uh, or actually go destroy things, because you can go ahead and remove piece, you know, pieces and parts from these models and show that if we were to lose this, or if this wasn't to be there, this either capability, this facility, and it allows you to show that, okay, the interconnectivity or the strength of the survivability and durability of NC3 writ large is either increased or decreased because of this, it, but it's modeling it on a computer so that you can see all these different lines, almost like spiderweb web lines of this connectivity and then all the different ways you can go ahead and kind of mess with that. There's an adversary action, whether it's just the, if we look at it, buying more. So that's part of the trade space I talked about where we can go in and look, how many do we need? Do we need five of this? Do we need 10 of these? And look at how that interconnectivity decreases risk, maybe, but increased cost so it allows us to go ahead and have those discussions uh, on on risk versus cost earlier than maybe saying, okay, we're going to go buy these and then realize we need more. Or we're going to buy these and realize maybe we don't need that many. So by being able to model that in a, a digital in a on online computer uh, system, that allows us to really have those discussions much earlier and make better decisions uh, for us and all the taxpayers ultimately.
0: Yeah, it's a. Uh... As I try to think about it, it's really can, you know, assuming it's accurate, it's it's a, a useful tool to try to, you know, like you said, make that trade space. In some respects, and tell me if I'm wrong, it would be somewhat equivalent to, in a much more technical sense, the early, if you go back to the interwar period when at the National or at the Naval War College, they were wargaming the fight in the Pacific with Japan. And they would, you know, they would have a capability, lose it, see what the result was, then fight it a new way. And, and, And as I think about digital twinning and the simulations you're running, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's, you know, okay, so if we have this capability and we lose it, here's what the effects are. Here's the second and third order effects. Here's what we what we still have. here's what we lose from losing that capability. Is that sort of what 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 you're talking about in terms of the way you're sort of modeling this and putting those digital twins into these simulations and testing them? Yeah, that
1: that's very similar because in, but in this case, what they're actually being able to do because all these different variables are being input are exponential. And one of the examples they brought to me was probably in the neighborhood of, depending on how you would have run it, it would have been in the neighborhood of 12 million different variables or outcomes. Mm, You can't do that. You can't do that on the tabletop anymore. And so being able to put that into the system you can run those and then and then take rough order magnitude and see that right off the bat okay this is not going to benefit us so let's let's not bring that in and so by using the computer you can cut from the the millions down to the hundreds of thousands down to the thousands down to the you know the hundreds and then literally down to tens of solutions or possible courses of action that you want to look at pursuing the computer and those digital engineering and the modeling and simulation allowed you to run millions of combinations because of the exponential that variables that are being input into this. And, and so, again, I, I that's where I'm saying I wish I paid more attention to my science teacher. So so I understood that uh, as I was growing up. I was a communication major, you know, didn't really do much in the science. But, but that's the way I've seen it because, again, it's millions of different variables or not variables, outcomes because of the exponential number of variables that they can put in. And so being able to look at that, that is what allows us to filter through, look at risk, look at, you know, being able to identify capabilities. Uh, and, and really come up with much better solutions and if we were trying to do this manually or what we kind of call Tlar or the, you know what that looks about right yeah, it, this is not that looks about right now again you, uh, one of the key points you did have though is it's it, the data going in has to be good. So that is what's been, and that's why it, it took a while for us to really spin up. You know, we said we've been around for more than four years, it, but building the, the, the library of that sort of information. Uh, and, and one of our engineers, you know, she'll talk about, it was like building a kitchen. You had to build a kitchen and then you had to get, add the ingredients. And I, I uh, but you know, when you first build a kitchen, you know, your first, The first thing you're going to do, that first recipe, you got to go get the flour and the butter and the pots and the pans. And so we had to do all that. And they did a wonderful job, but it took a while. And then once you have some of the staples, every recipe you're going to do maybe has a little bit extra. So you have to go get the extra ingredients and bring it in. And so where we're at right now is I would say we have a, a really good fully stocked kitchen. Uh, we have all the staples that we need. And really what we're looking at doing is is modifying the different recipes to be able to see, okay, is that really what we want to come out of the, the NC3 enterprise in the future? And so that's what they're doing is they're changing the recipes in, you know, in the order of millions in the magnitude because that's what the, the digital engineering and modeling and simulation allows us to do uh, with today's type computers.
0: So uh, before we have Bob come out as Bob always does. Let me ask you one sort of question that's just percolating in my mind. And that is this, this idea of thin line and thick line, you know, with the thick line being our, our pre-war NC3 system and the thin line being, you know, post attack, what's still left in NC3 next. As we modernize and build this new system, are we going to still think about it in terms of thick line and thin line, or is that a concept that goes away? And I won't necessarily really go into that, at least not on this line, but what
1: I would talk about (laughs) is, is, you know, we're looking at effectiveness versus survivability. And mm-hmm. so what happens, and again, really, we're learning a lot of this, you know, from Ukraine. There's some pretty good articles out there. There's one that, you know, the, the Army put out in their military review here last summer uh, talking, you know, the graveyards of command posts, a great article. But But the effectiveness versus survivability. And what we mean by that, you know, they talk about people, networks, command posts, the physical dimensions, because the bigger you get, the easier somebody can find you. So right. your yeah. survivability decreases, but your effectiveness increases. So really that scale or the trade-off between those is what we're looking at. And, and so really divine, we're looking at is how do we ensure that we have survivable um, and durable nuclear control communications regardless of what the adversary chooses to do to us. Because really what I want to be able to do is talk about, and this is where, you know, when you look at how do we deter an adversary, you know, if we go back to, you know, I think it was Kissinger's, you know, his equation, you know, deterrence is your capability times your will times communicating it to your adversary, right? Well, when folks often talk about strategic deterrence, they talk about what? The triad right that's normally so the, the, you'll see people talk about the triad and that's good that's the offensive so it's the the triad is strategic part of strategic deterrence the the thing that i like to say though is that's almost two dimensional it can fall over it's not stable and our adversaries know that not stable by itself and so really we have the pyramid you know four sided it's the pyramid of strategic deterrence because that base the foundation of strategic deterrence is your nc3 because that's what connects our senior leaders and all three legs of the triad and make sure our capable make sure our adversaries understand that we have the capability to execute any of those legs and the president has you know anytime anywhere and so it's really moving it from the the you know, strategic triad to the strategic pyramid making sure you understand that that nc3 is foundational to that deterrence and in order to be have a capable deterrent it's got to be survivable And so that is how we kind of go back and bring it back around. So, again, I won't necessarily say thin line, thick line, but survivable and durable nuclear command control communications is a requirement to maintain strategic deterrence into the future.
0: Now, of course, it is that time in the show, and it's the time I know you've been waiting for, where Bob the genie comes out. And as I rub my magic lamp, Bob, of course, pops out and he grants all guests three wishes, but they must be, uh, you know, in regard to what we've been talking about, and they cannot include world peace or infinite wishes or good looks or anything like that. So, General Murphy, what is your wish number one?
1: Well, probably number one would be help make sure that the American people better understand the importance of strategic deterrence. And, and, you know, I like to paraphrase, you know, former chairman Milley, you know, back when he was uh, the chief staff, and how he talked about how deterrence is much less expensive than fighting a war. Well, as we're seeing over in, in, you know, uh, you know, CENTCOM and, and over in Ukraine, that when you fight a war we lose our national treasure. And I'm not talking just yeah. money. I, I'm talking our, our, our young you know, men and women of this great country. So deterrence, making sure that the American people understand that, that we need to deter our adversaries. Because if deterrence fails, that means we will be fighting. And in fighting, that means we'll be losing our national treasure. And so I think that would be my number one is helping them understand that uh, and support the need for, for strategic deterrence.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good wish. That's a good wish, and you know when you mentioned General Milley uh, and his comments when he was before Congress uh, testifying on why does the nuclear arsenal matter to the United States Army? It's it's one of the greatest comments that I think any soldier has, has you know, ever made. And because as, as you sort of point to, he says, you know, the reason that the Army can fight and fight in Afghanistan and Iraq is because the deterrence dissuades, it deters uh, our adversaries from attacking us in, in far more challenging ways than they already do. And that and, was him and, speaking
1: as a chief of staff of the army even before yeah, he became exactly. chairman. so yeah
0: Exactly it was it was a great quote Okay okay so we 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 radically agree on that Okay so how about number okay. 2 what is wish number 2 uh,
1: Number 2 is it goes back to I guess the the infinity sign or or the uh, NC3 polarity paradigm and, and to me it it's I I would want um kind of any person or those that are talking and discussing NC3 or NC3 Next, make sure that they understand that NC3 Next is a journey and not a destination. And so that goes back to the fact that we're not going to just build NC3 Next and replace it. But I, I, there's a lot of people that I'm trying to help educate them on that, that, that we're moving along the timeline and we're pulling the next generation capabilities into current capabilities. But really, it, just making sure they know that NC3 Next is a journey and not a destination.
0: Okay, that's a good one. I mean, it's a challenging journey. It's not an easy journey. So that's a good wish number two. How about wish number three? Uh, probably the fact that I've, I've been able to step in and, and
1: really work with the the men and women of the NC3 Enterprise Center and, and the nuclear or the NC3 Enterprise writ large here. I just wish everyone uh, out there could see the, the wonderful work that all the, the dedicated men and women of the NC3 Enterprise Center and, and then the enterprise have accomplished over these past several years. You know, there's so much they've done, uh, and that they're doing every day that ensures you know our, our nation and the nuclear deterrent pyramid is so strong that our adversary is never going to date, our, never going to doubt our capabilities. Now, much of their work's classified, but but by taking opportunities like this, uh, I I think we can help go ahead and, and sing some of that praise uh, to these fine patriots and, and let folks know that.
0: Now, I I got to be honest with you, I, I agree with you that the neck folks are great. You know, I know the neck folks and they are a bunch of good, good people, but I'm a little disappointed in you that your third wish wasn't uh, because, you know, we're recording this on Thursday, January the 25th and three days from now, yours and my Kansas city chiefs are going to be playing the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC Championship. So I was hoping you might ask Bob for a Chiefs victory in in that game, but you know, well, I, I uh, I'm not even sure if Bob could bring that one out. So, so even asking that one and, and the fact I'm going to be overseas
1: during the game, I'm not going to be able to see it anyway. So it, it's, I'm going to try to tonight see anything. So I think I'll, I'll have that uh, tape delayed for me. Uh, but no, but no, I think that, I think my three uh, wishes were a little bit better than that wish there. So I think yours is more a dream than a wish there. Adam,
0: so. All right. Well, General Bill Murphy, special assistant, at U.S. Strategic Command for NC3. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Nuclecast.
1: Well, Adam, again, I just want to take a quick moment. Thank you and everybody at ANWA. And really, I want to make sure I thank Kimberly, who's going to be behind the scenes and taking our our recording and hopefully make us both sound better than we actually are. So thanks to you and Kimberly for, for running this show and having us on. And I look forward to talking with you more in the future.
0: And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us on this episode of NucleCast. And we will see you next time. Well, it was great to talk to Bill. He's uh, a personal friend. And of course, by the time he listens to this, it you know, it's gonna clearly be public that he got a second star. So congratulations, Bill. Uh it was it was great to talk about NC three, because you know this is to me this is probably the most difficult aspect of our nuclear modern modernization so hearing from him as as the neck director the interim special advisor on nc3 i think that's the title i got to make sure i get it right but it was it was good to hear from him and uh good to hear about nc3
1: This has been a production of the Anwar Deterrent Center, a 501c3 that seeks to educate key decision makers, stakeholders, and the public to ensure a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrent. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Kronkhoff. Help us grow our followers by sharing it and follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at NucleCast.